Okay, we're we're live now. We're doing it. We're doing the thing. Sick. Okay, cool. Thanks for thanks for coming on. I'm glad that we were actually able to do this. Yeah, I know. Sorry, I don't know my work schedule ever. No, um, that's, <laughs> that's fine. I remember that morning that you messaged me. I woke up and thought to myself, I saw the message and was like, it's either that she's she's canceling or she's double checking. But it was a funny. Oh, she's so excited to do it. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, I was just like grooving to some homework before it started and then my boss messaged me and she's like hey how, how are you doing i was like oh so cute i'm doing really well how are you and she's like you do have a shift today if that matters to you <laughs> on my way Frick. but yeah i'm really sorry how do you find it how do you find it having a job now with covid and classes and school do you find it is helpful for you with the socialization I actually really love it and it's obviously not something I had the opportunity to do um, my past four years just with obviously you know but traveling Thursday to Sunday um, it just like didn't really leave any room for a job um, and I think I really relied on my friends in sciences the past couple of years just like have like a different social group outside of volleyball that you can vent to or talk about success to whatever it is um, so I think my work has kind of acted as that because obviously I'm not seeing my friends in my program as much because it's all online. Um, so I really appreciate the social aspect of my job for sure. And the girls I work with are awesome too, which is cool. Yeah, Randy and I tried to go in. There were a few times that we were in that area and we would just go in and ask if there were any of the volleyball girls around. One of them told me, they were like, this very cute tall blonde man came looking for you. He was uh, looking for any volleyball girl. I was like, aren't they all? That couldn't have been me then. Um, <laughs> I think it was you probably. Uh, the, the main thing that I would kind of want to cover today is how I think you're really good at this is creating structure in chaos. Just generally, we as post-secondary athletes, there's a and it's just university students in general have a really chaotic schedule and the timetables are really strange and all over the place. Some days you have six classes, some days you have no classes and you consistently have practice and like you said earlier you're traveling Thursday to Sunday and you don't really have weekends and it can be really tolling on mental health and I I think that you're someone that's really good at developing a schedule and following through with that obviously you're very highly achieved in academia you have a, a multiple uh, academic all-canadian you've you're published you're an absolute rock star killing it in every aspect. <laughs> so how, how do you, like, what are your foundations for achieving that success? Yeah. Um, very cool question. Thank you also for having me up. <laughs> that made me sound more together than I am. Do it for um, a sound bite. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess to me, I don't really understand how people do it without having a really strict schedule. Like I have, a couple of friends who just don't write down assignments or don't write down when they have quizzes or when we're traveling, which seems insane to me, but um, really impressive that they're able to do that. But yeah, I guess for me, um, I just really don't like the feeling of procrastination and I don't like the feeling of having to submit something or going to practice or going to a game feeling like I haven't done everything I can to be prepared for that. Um, so I guess just it's kind of just my way of avoiding that feeling is like having an agenda for everything I do. I have like a huge calendar of assignments that I need to do. I have like a schedule in my room of when my classes are, when practices are. Um, and I think 
in order to be successful with all the stuff that you said we like you mentioned like practice and work and volleyball uh, and school whatever it is i think that's really important i think it also just helps your mental health too in the sense that for me if i don't have something written down i'm always going to kind of be worried about like oh i'm forgetting about it or feeling guilty that you're spending time with your friends as opposed to doing schoolwork but i think if you really as much as you can schedule it out that i think um every aspect of your life you're kind of allowed to enjoy more like i know that like when i'm watching the bachelor with my friends or whatever it is that we're doing like i've done everything i needed to do that day so i can just relax and my mind is shut off um and i'm just allowed to enjoy that time um whereas i think if you're kind of if there's no real structure in what you're doing you're always kind of like maybe doing school here a little bit but it's not like you're really your best work so i guess what i'm trying to say is it just i think it allows you to do your best work while also still like scheduling in stuff that you enjoy to make sure you don't get burnt out if that makes sense <laughs> yeah no i think that's a really cool place that a lot of people don't really find that area in their schedule where they just schedule things that they don't really want to do, but they have to do rather than making a schedule that allows for you to achieve the things that you have to get done. while also, also finding time for those areas that you're passionate about, like hanging out with friends and doing your hobbies. And so I think that's a, I think that's a really smart way to do it. I also really like how you, like you, you have a visual for something like having a whiteboard mm -hmm. in your room or something that you can see consistently. I found that that really helps me is having something that I can wake up and see every day and go, okay, this is what I'm striving towards. This is how I'm going to get there. Totally. And in terms, I guess you can have like, like I have big and long term goals. Like a couple, my roommates got me like this big sticker that says like future doctor, which is obviously a bit extra, but um, I think it's cool. Just like kind of have a reminder of that, of why you are doing um, the day-to-day -day stuff and what you're hoping that builds to while then also having like your small goals of like okay hey, you have an assignment due or you have work this weekend or you have an appointment or whatever it is mm -hmm. yeah one of my the guy that I did a podcast with two or three weeks ago now him and I talked about that because uh, that's how our that's how the dopamine pathway is structured is so that you you're getting more of a hit of dopamine before you actually get the thing that you're trying to achieve so sure while you're driving home thinking about getting your donut and eating the donut, your dopamine is high, 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 high. And then once you get it, it's actually not as much as it was before. So, so that comes back. There's this, uh, this Zen Buddhist principle of nothing special where once you've achieved something, it's not as special as it was before you had achieved it. Mm -hmm. And the things that, the things that you've achieved now, I'm sure that when you were younger, you, they were absolutely unimaginable totally the the pinnacle of achievement and 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 life for you like becoming a youth sport athlete i know that was really important to you and being totally. in canada west and like going on to do mcat and become a doctor and now you're on the path to those things and i'm sure you you don't think about being a youth sport athlete as something unbelievably special every single day the way that you would have if you were if you were able to tell your younger self i'm sure she would have totally lost her mind but now that you've achieved it, you're like, yeah, it just is what it is. Yeah, and it's so interesting the way we do that. I was talking to someone about that in the context of climbing in the day. Of, I forget what grade they were climbing, like a V6, V7, which is like a a chart of like how difficult a boulder is. Mm -hmm. um, and they were like, yeah, like V6 just seems like so unapproachable. And then like when I've done a V6 climb in my head, I'm like, oh, like that couldn't have been that couldn't have been that hard. Like a V6 can't be that hard if like I could do it. So. 
we kind of do have that tendency of minimizing our success or like minimizing how cool something is. But yeah, I would totally agree. Like I was talking to uh, one of my relatives the other day about um, when I was 16 and 17 and how important recruiting had been to me and how playing that post-secondary level was everything. And yeah, now once you've done like five years of it, obviously it is really cool and it is something that I'm going to miss, but um, it's interesting how much your mindset shifts a little bit into the next goals and the next um, pathway that seems, I don't know, at times like being a youth sport athlete felt unachievable. So now like going to med school or whatever just seems like a huge goal, but um, it's interesting how your perspective changes and how you want different things as you get older. Yeah, I remember you and I talked about it a few years ago now it was the idea of uh, achieving one day and how there was this idea that like everyone strives to achieve this one day where they're 40 years old, their mortgage is paid off, they have their kids and then, and then they're going to be happy. And it's Mm -hmm. always this, this striving for something that's farther away rather than living in the moment. And um, Joseph Campbell explains this really well, just the, the idea of eternity being now like eternity isn't a, 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 the entire space-time continuum, but it's, it's the moment right now because that goes on for forever. And, mm-hmm. and that is eternity, is being in the moment right now. And, and you and I talked about that a lot and how people consistently look towards one day to be happy and push off the moment consistently to achieve mm-hmm. that one day. And then once you get to one day, you look around and go, this isn't, this isn't everything that I was looking for. And now I want something mm-hmm. else. There's always something more. And there's a, there's a real importance to having an ability to live within a moment. Totally. And just finding joy in like what you're doing at that point um, to build off of your point of, yeah, I don't think I did that, especially my first two years. Um, it was always like, Oh my gosh, like I just, I can't wait to get to Christmas break. And then I can't wait to have the year done. Um <laughs> They were still like awesome years, but I think um, I didn't find like gratitude. I didn't find joy in what I was doing at that time, which was getting me to my goals or so I thought. Um, And I think as I've gotten further in my degree, my classes, my classes, my labs, whatever it is, just feels so less overwhelming. And I don't know if it's, I mean, I don't think it's because the subject matter has gotten any easier or the workload has gotten any less, but I think it's just a result of me like enjoying the day-to-day or consciously trying to like find things that I'm grateful for throughout the day as I'm working towards that big goal because yeah like you said when you get there there's always going to be something you want more like um an example I have a crap car right now that opens one door opens um of all four doors pardon of all four doors four doors I know um and barely works in the winter but I had to give myself a little bit of perspective because even the past four years, I haven't had a car and I was always thinking like, oh, how convenient would it have would it be to be able to drive myself everywhere? And then like a couple of months after having this car, which has been like such a, a, a blessing in my life and I've been able to do so much more, I'm like already complaining about it. So um, yeah, I think it's like human nature a little bit to always want more than you have or always be looking for the next step. What door of the car is it? Um, so the lock on the driver's side is broken. So essentially I roll down the window and then I pop it from the outside and then I have to keep the door open while I roll back out the window, which is fine in the summer. But then in the winter, the actual window freezes too. So then I have to pull the window up to go back up. 
um, the passenger side is just doesn't work at all out of commission. So if I have, if I want a passenger in the front seat, they have to climb in before I get in. But the back two doors, immaculate. Anyone can get in the back two doors. Oh, I thought I, I was hoping that like the passenger rear door was going to be the only one that would actually open. Yeah. <laughs> Like, yeah, I mean, to be fair, the car was 1,000% free, so literally there's no, absolutely no space for complaining about it at all. Yeah, but, yeah fair yeah. enough. I'm also, like, not going to get robbed, because if anyone gets in my car, there's no way they're getting out, so they're going to have to, like, call the police <laughs> because they're hungry or because it's been three days. Uh, so yeah. in that sense, it's really good. You're going to show up in the morning and someone's just going to be camped out in your car. You're like, I couldn't get out. <laughs> I'm sorry. Take it back. I don't want it anymore. <laughs> yeah. What do you, do you think there was a, a mental change or a shift in your perspective that allowed you to be more in the moment and appreciative of, of the time that you had now rather than consistently looking at the future? Hmm. I'm not sure if there was um, one moment that really stands out. I guess, I think um, when I wrote the MCAT the first time, so I have a plan of running it again this summer. Um, I was just like miserable for the couple months I wrote it because um, I just went in with like, you have to do well. And it was totally like goal focused as opposed to what I was doing at the moment. Um, and I didn't have that structure that I talked about was really important to me. Um, yeah. And it just meant my mental health was not good during that time. I was, I don't think I was a very good friend or girlfriend or daughter um, because I was just frustrated all the time. Um, and I think that kind of made me think about my approach to school in general um, and how um, I just, yeah, I guess, I don't know. I made, I made it see everything seem like a bigger deal than it needed to be. And I just always felt so busy and overwhelmed. So I think um, after I got the MCAT back, I did fine, but it definitely wasn't the result I was looking for. Um, I think that was kind of uh, an epiphany of you need to change something and you need to find uh joy in the st in studying and you to find joy in practicing um because it, it was like subject matter that i really enjoyed like i really do enjoy my degree and the subjects that were on the mcat but um i was just putting a ton of pressure on myself and like not focusing on what i was doing day to day to get to the goal as opposed to just like i have to get this score on it um so i think that was like a pretty big mindset shift if i had to pick one thing mm -hmm. i find that so interesting that i think that's a relatively new area or field in psychology, uh, spearheaded by Carol Dweck, the idea that process is the most important thing. And, and, and I, I still see it now in lots of places. And even while I was in Denmark, there were lots of people that were um, like outcome oriented and you could see it and how they played and how they treated other people that weren't necessarily at the level they were at. And, and now there's this shift towards everything being process driven and allowing for failure and encouraging people to make mistakes and accept that and be okay mm -hmm. with not being perfect hundred percent of the time. Yeah, for sure. And I think, um, it was a really valuable experience of that failure in my mind, um, because I think it did reaffirm for me that being a doctor and helping people in that sense was something I wanted to do because I think it's really easy when you, uh, get a really good score and get it in your first time to be like, yeah, yeah, this is, this is what I want to do. I think. And then you get a couple of years in, you're like, oh, this like really isn't for me. But I think, mm -hmm like having that sense of failure um and then like a couple days after i was like no i like no i'm gonna write it again because this is what i want to do so i think those like those periods are really really valuable and without those i'm not sure if you have a full understanding of what it is that you really want 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really mm-hmm. good point. You you mentioned that you felt that you weren't being a good friend, daughter, girlfriend. How how do you think that those that shift in in how you thought about being um, more part of? I, I would say maybe more part of your community. Correct me if if you think it could be worded better, but more part of your community has has impacted your success in other fields, like having that structure and those those pillars of community around you. Yeah, for sure. I think I kind of took for granted the support I had. And I think because in my mind, it felt like what I was doing was so important and that because I was in a science degree or because I was playing volleyball at a high level and like doing research or whatever it is, um, that seemingly what I was doing was more important than what other people were doing. So I think I felt, um, like it was expected that I should get unconditional support and love from all the people around me. Um, but I'm not sure I was always um, giving that back to people. So I think that's really something I've learned that I've tried to transfer um, to showing gratitude to my parents and my friends, my boyfriend now is um, that everyone has stuff going on and everyone's life is at an equal importance and what they have is a lot compared to what I have as well. Um, so I think in that sense, it has, just maybe like an easier person to have a relationship with. Um, Cause I think I try to at least hopefully close to it is give as much as I get from people because I am so lucky. I feel like I just had like a huge support system of people. Um, so trying to like show gratitude to those people and give as much support as I get. You're so friggin' human. <laughs> You've progressed so much over the years. It's so cool. Oh my gosh. You've become. <laughs> Yeah, pretty crazy. We're living with um, a first-year girl right now, and she's awesome. She's so much fun, but uh, it's it's so. I, we talked about this before, but it's so cool um, having kind of like a a mirror of what you were five years ago, um, and to see just like how much you you learned outside of your classes about who you want to be and how you want to treat people, even like how you want your lifestyle to be in comparison to what it was when you lived with your parents and um what your goals are going to be after that yeah it's insane how much you learn over the five years Mm -hmm. in Denmark I was living with a guy named Seaman and he was just this he was really really quiet to start and then I think that we developed this this trust between one another through volleyball and through living with each other and Norwegian people are normally really standoffish they're they, they don't have a lot of affect and over, much like you, obviously. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> coming in there with all the feels and all the yeah. touchy, hugging him all the time. Yeah, and he, <laughs> he just became this total sponge when we developed that trust. When I think that when he, when he came to understand that I really wanted the best for him, he was just a sponge, and it just flipped so fast. And he, I, I saw him progress at such a rapid rate. Um, I think, I think interpersonally, and kind of how he viewed situations and how he went into conflict because I was constantly pushing him to feel uncomfortable mm-hmm. like he he wasn't a very uh conflict oriented person and there were conflicts that he had to deal with and I was constantly like pushing him into those and saying you have to like you have to tell people what you want you can't just let people push you around and wait for them to figure out how to deal with you like you need to tell people what you want because people can't read minds and I think that's a even in even in good relationships like in in good interpersonal relationships that we have with our family and our significant others and our friends, we were, we tend to think that people can read our minds 
and we don't actually express what we really want from people. And mm -hmm. I think to a further extent, maybe we don't express how we, we, do, we don't express what we want to ourselves. And so that was something that I really pushed him into doing because that was something I was horrible at doing at that age. And mm -hmm. I mean, the hopes of, the, the hopes that you have with any, anyone younger than you is that they will develop faster than you did. Totally. And I think that's, that's a funny argument of the like, millennials, Gen Z, whatever. They're so privileged and they're just on their phones all the time. Like that, that's kind of what you want as someone that's older is to see someone have an easier life than you did. And it's easy to, to resent that because I'm not sure there's kind of this feeling of like, I had it tough. They didn't have it tough. They're totally soft, but there's no, there's no real empathy in what we're actually trying to accomplish as a society moving forward is things getting easier and easier and easier. And I'm not sure if that's super conducive to long-term success is having everything handed to you. But overall, I think it's a little bit tougher for people than we, than we suspect. Yeah. I think it's also easy from an outsider perspective of, um, I guess they wouldn't be, our parents, well, maybe our parents could be boomers, but <laughs> um, on the day-to-day, -day, yeah, it definitely doesn't seem like we have the same stressors in terms of um, getting a job and putting, like, putting food on the table for your family and kind of the expected mm -hmm. roles that you had. But I think at the same time, there's, I guess, a general stress of, Kind of the situation of um our climate obviously and there's a lot of social unrest that's i guess always been a thing but i think it was really kind of pushed under the rug before and not really acknowledged and i think a lot of that is coming to the forefront now so i think there's a lot of bigger issues that our generation and people even younger than us um do you have to face um and talk about and be open to on the day-to-day -day. so yeah i think seemingly it seems like um we live a pretty easy life and we do obviously compared to most of the world, we are so privileged, but I think, and I think it's important to acknowledge that. Um, but there's just different stressors like there are with any generation that uh, I think are hard to understand unless you really experience them. Mm -hmm. There's this really cool sociologist named Ehrlich Beck. I think he passed away a few years ago, but he, he had this theory of the cosmopolitan moment where like this big international government becomes formed because there are so many external stressors that aren't they aren't privy to just one nation but things such as climate change and air pollution and his philosophy was that one day we're going to hit this point where all of us have to band together and and create a an international government so that we can address these issues and that would be really really cool and that would be seems like we're definitely moving in that direction of having having international regulations to start maybe changing the technology that we use for for energy yeah i think we're definitely there with the stressors component we have the, we have the stuff yeah. around us that should be forcing us to do it um but yeah i would agree like there are um organizations like that whether it's um well like the green new deal for example um or other organizations um, obviously the UN has been around forever, but mm -hmm. I think there is more of an expectation now that we're in a global community and we're in an international community as mm -hmm. opposed to just country to country basis. Um, and it does look like there's a shift happening there in terms of countries understanding that um, they're not going to be able to combat these issues alone. I mean, maybe not with Brexit. England thinks they have it all figured out. Britain does, but everyone else. <laughs> 
Yeah, I wonder, that's a really tough area too, because a lot of modern economies were completely built off of um, extracting fossil fuels and burning coal. And and now we've kind of realized the impact and now we're turning to all of the countries that are up and coming like India and saying like, oh, maybe you guys should calm down on that. And like, but that's a, that's a huge export for them. So it's, mm-hmm. it's interesting how that's going to work economically and politically. Yeah. It's also interesting because like the same thing happened with um, England during the industrial revolution, but there just like, wasn't a climate crisis at the point. So they're like, yeah, yeah, you guys are doing great. Keep it up. Yeah. And now like, there is a climate crisis. They're like, India, we understand you want to do the same thing, but now is not the time. Yeah. <laughs> so. Like, maybe maybe in a few years we'll figure something out and you guys can get back onto it. Yeah. But I think it's so hard to, I think as a country, and especially in the middle upper class, like a lot of us are, um, or at least people we know, it's super easy to look at these other countries and just think, oh, like, why would you not choose alternatives? But um, when you are in that situation, I just read a super interesting book called um, I Shall Not Hate. And it's basically about this uh, doctor working in the Gaza Strip, which is in between um, Palestine and Israel. And it's essentially just um, his story of helping women, which is really, really cool, um, especially with health related issues, which is not um, not what am I trying to say? It's not a priority um, right. for a lot of people. Um in those countries um but he does just like talk about on the day-to-day like all the struggles that are involved with feeding his family and like making sure they get to school safe and even traveling from the border to treat his patients so i think it's it's pretty difficult to put yourself in those shoes but when that's your your goal is just having enough money to feed your family on the day-to-day i think it's a lot easier to understand why maybe their biggest concern is not whether the the oil they're producing is eco-friendly, but mm-hmm. whether it's like giving them the $5 a day or $5 a week or whatever, that's going to like help them sustain. Yeah. It definitely seems like technological revolution kind of has to come from the front. Mm-hmm. The more that first world countries start to develop technologies that allow for more eco-friendly energy, then those become cheaper and then they start to bleed into other countries and second and third world countries. And so I I totally agree that a lot of those countries need those resources to be extracted because that's the only way that they can survive. Mm -hmm. Totally. I agree. What a crazy world. Soon we'll just have (laughs) giant nuclear reactors everywhere. Wouldn't that be great? (laughs) That would be, that would be a lot nicer. Maybe. Yeah, Yeah. Russia kind of fumbled that one for us. (laughs) So what are you how what are you doing now? Like with am I doing now? School, COVID, online classes, volleyball. How how does the volleyball landscape look? Um. Yeah. What am I doing right now? Um. I it's February, so I have two months left, and then I have a degree. Hopefully, unless something goes terribly wrong. Um, I'm working, like I said before, a couple times a week, which has been really fun. Um, I am working on some research right now, and my supervisor is being so patient with me because I did the majority of it last year, um, and I'm hoping to do a different publication this year. Um, so just kind of changing the format of our paper a little bit and the focus of our research uh, to kind of accommodate a little bit more to what that paper is looking for. Uh, and then, yeah, with volleyball right now, um, 
it's pretty chill, but at the same time, super, super cool in comparison to basically the entire rest of the country right now, because we are able to practice as a group and we are, are able to do gameplay. Um, but I think it has really given me an appreciation for volleyball in the sense too that I have some class and some research a couple of days a week that kind of prevent me from playing volleyball. Um, so I'm just present for two practices a week right now. Um, so I just enjoy it so much when I go because I don't get to get to go, go, go that much and I don't get to see my friends that much um, or at least my, my team. Um, so yeah, I'm really enjoying volleyball and trying to kind of soak in that last environment of having a team because I think um, when you go off into the, the workforce or further education or whatever it is, you're working in groups, but um, I'm not sure it's the same as like having that bond with a team of just the amount of time you spend together and how many situations you're put in that require you to be vulnerable or require you to uh, rely on other people. Um, so I think that team atmosphere, especially at the university level, is a pretty unique experience. So I've been really trying to appreciate that for what it is. Yeah, it totally becomes a second family. I remember last time we talked, you had mentioned that the emotional atmosphere has changed a lot since there's no playtime competition. There's still mm -hmm. competition within practice, but there's no starters versus non-starters. Mm -hmm. How do you think that that, how do you think that that's created an evolution for your team? Yeah, I think this is definitely, like we spoke about before, this is definitely the best dynamic we've had with any of the teams I've played on in university or maybe any team in general. Um, and it's so interesting how much, um, like you said, that starters versus non-starters mindset or um, how much playing other teams impacts the dynamic of your own team. Um, but yeah, there's just been so much more support and, and genuine support. And you can tell um, everyone wants the person beside them to be getting better. Um, and I think because we don't, we aren't forced to spend that time together Thursday to Sunday every week, um, we've chosen more to spend time with each other outside of volleyball, not because we have to, but because we want to. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's a super cool supportive environment. Um, I'm really excited to see um, the core group that's kind of formed out of those, those third year girls and the second year girls um, who are starting to take up the reins. And I think they're going to do a really good job. Um, we have a pretty big recruiting class coming in. I think there's seven or eight people. So I think they're going to do a really good job of kind of laying the expectations that we've built and the culture that our team has built over the last I mean, I would say over the last five years with, with my experience, but obviously it's kind of been a progression over the last 10 or 15 years um, to change the culture of our team um, and the expectations that go along with that. So I'm really excited to see them kind of bring that forward into the new group that's coming in. Do you think that it's possible to retain that atmosphere in a competitive situation? Like, can you still have that desire for people to get better? Because I've been on teams before and it's, it's tough to see another guy that starts over you week to week and think like, I want this guy to keep getting better because it's, it's good for the team. There, there's this, maybe I'm just a, just a piece of garbage, but there's, there's this feeling that like you want to be on the court. You want to be there. You want to be the guy. Mm -hmm. And when there are people ahead of you and people that are really close to you, 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 you kind of go like, I want, I want this guy to be as good as he can be to push me but as long as I'm a little bit over top of him. Yeah, I think realistically, if you're playing university sports, you're a pretty competitive person. Yeah. So I think it is difficult 
to recreate maybe the atmosphere that we've had completely uh, going into next year because yeah, it is like practices are awesome, but it's so much fun to play the game, play a game, and it's so much fun mm-hmm. to to be that person that's um, getting your team through an important set or getting that match point, whatever it is. Um, but I think there are ways you can do that realistically while you're in season. I thought our team did a pretty good job of that, uh, not this year, but the year before, which was like the most successful year we've had in that. I think everyone by the end of the season had really accepted that in order for us to be successful, everyone had to have a role. So that Mm -hmm. meant that, yeah, there were people that there were six people that were going to start, but those people changed all the time. And I think even if you didn't start, you almost 1000% knew you were going in, whether that was someone struggling or whether it was a double sub or serving sub, whatever it was. I think what made our team so successful that year um, was that everyone was very comfortable with their role while still trying to push the people ahead of them to be better. Um, I think it also was really important too that there weren't like a set starting six. I think mm-hmm. earlier in my time at TRU, it was super obvious who was going to play and there weren't going to be that many changes. Um, but I think having that kind of fluid lineup is makes it for makes for a way more competitive atmosphere. Um, but also you want the people around you to be getting better so that you get better as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think Trinity is a good example of that where it's mm-hmm. just a like basically a national team environment where everyone's consistently pushing each other. I think Chad has developed a really good community and atmosphere within your team where people do get their chances all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think sorry, go ahead. No, 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 you. Oh. No, I was just going to say um obviously it is. It does create pressure and that you know if you're getting your opportunity, you like have to perform and you can't go in and just kind of be average and lay low. Like if you're given the opportunity, you have to rise to the occasion. But I think that is really cool because um, it kind of forces people to rise to their best mm-hmm. and, and be the best player they can be uh, because they know like that's their opportunity. So I think it did really allow some people to shine um, and kind of highlight people's mental toughness when they were able to go in in their one opportunity and perform and, and play at the very highest potential for their level. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What did, what did you find helped you as an athlete to achieve your, as, as John Wooden would put it, how, how were you your best when your best was needed? Um, I think not caring that much, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I'm thinking back to a couple games where um, I felt like I had a good performance or not sometimes by the stats, but even just um, feeling good and feeling like I had been a clutch player or whatever it was. Um, And I think I kind of just went in and I was like, okay, well, you have to do well, but you're going to either do well or you're not going to do well. So you don't know how much time you have in the court. So enjoy the time you have on the court. Um, Try to make a difference. Don't, I think I was also like, oh my gosh, don't be a pansy. This is your one opportunity. This is not the opportunity to tip the ball into six. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think kind of going for it to a certain extent um, and not putting pressure on myself to um, execute on like specific plays or get a certain number of points, but just going in with a pretty relaxed um, mindset was really important for me. Mm -hmm. And obviously that's different for every person. Um, I think that's pretty easy to do uh, at the beginning of the season when I was kind of just going in for Gabby. And then I think um, 
when our roles kind of switch, it's a lot harder to do that as a starter. And especially for someone like Kendra or Olga, whoever it is, I think it's really difficult to go in every week and say, oh, I don't care what happens when the team is really relying on you. So obviously everyone has a different way of doing that. Um, but I think that was something that was really helpful to me. Mm -hmm. What are you doing your research on? Frozen dirt. Um, basically, um, I am working with a microbiologist at TRU, which is not my major, but I just thought he was a super cool professor and I really liked his mentality. Um, so we got a bunch of uh, permafrost samples from Cambridge Bay in Nunavut. Um, and we had them shipped back to TRU. Um, and essentially I made, um, so I can put this, I basically identified the community within the dirt, so like the microbial community within it. Um, so the different bacteria, the different archaea, whatever they are. Mm -hmm. um, and the point of doing this was, um, we know the permafrost is melting. That's a, that's a reality that everyone is aware of. But if we can create kind of a set um, database of this is what the community looks like at this point, it's a lot easier to track change in a year or five years or 10 years or whatever it is to see how that's, um, what's changed and what that means. But I think if you don't have that set point to begin with, then you could say, oh, it's, there's this many methanogenic bacteria, which create methane, which is one of the um, greenhouse gases. But if you don't have that set point, it doesn't really mean anything. Um, so that was kind of the goal of my study. Um, and then that's kind of just like the work we're continuing on is um, looking at like the, like I mentioned before, the methanogenic properties within some of that bacteria and what that would mean. Cool. So you're essentially creating a start point for any future data sets pertaining totally, yeah. to permafrost. Yeah. And they're just like, um, a lot of people are doing that too, but there just hadn't been anyone doing it in that particular area of Canada. Mm -hmm. So yeah, really cool. Very, very cool. <laughs> nice. Do you want to, do you want to cut there? Yeah, sure. Okay, thanks so much for coming on. I'll I'll pause it in a bit, but thank you. That was really, really cool. Oh my gosh, yeah, it was so fun to get to talk to you. Yeah, you too. I'm glad you have very, very cool insights. I'm... <laughs> thank you so much. Thanks. I feel like I talked in circles a lot, but... No, 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 <laughs> you did great. Fun. No, 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 you did amazing. I really, really appreciate it. Oh, yeah, I'm so yeah, glad. You're, you're very How many articulate. podcasts have you done now? I feel like so many. Um, you're my, you're number 16. There, there have been a few that I didn't post, but you're the 16th that I'll post. You didn't post them? I didn't post them. Were they emotional or you just you didn't think people's responses were? Um, no, a lot of it was me. A lot. Of, I, I used to say like a lot. Oh, so, I say like a ton. Oh my God, it kills me. And I realized that. Probably did a lot now, but. No, no, no. Yeah, you, were, you were great. I was tracking them. I have a little tally here. <laughs> oh, no, really? not actually. <laughs> no. <laughs> Uh, I did a, I did another podcast and my parents actually tracked it and it was something like thirty something times like that's insane. It's tough. It's it's tough to change that speech path speech pathology. Mm -hmm. Who is the most interesting person you've had? Or I guess not the most interesting person, but what are some of the most interesting conversations you've had so far? Um, I had a really good one. With, you know Chris Montoya, right? Yeah. Him and I had a fun one on the negative effects of marijuana. Uh, mm -hmm. Pat was a really cool one. Uh, Doug was a lot of fun just because he has so many stories and he can just 
totally go off and you bring up one thing about gnoming or biking across Canada and he's like, oh man, do I ever have a story for you? <laughs> um, yeah, those, those were a few really fun ones that I liked a lot. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think I'd have to go through again. I'm just waiting for Randy. I have to get to 43 before Randy will do a podcast with me. So 40. Oh my gosh. Does he have that much insight that it's, <laughs> no, it's, <laughs> it's a reference. Oh, okay. So yeah. His opinions are so important. They are. They, he has very, very cool thoughts. I'd like to get them out there, but mm-hmm. yeah. I have does a, he, I have does he know what he's doing for the next year or not really yet? I think he's still trying to figure it out. Okay. Reach out to him though. I'm sure he'd love to hang out. Yeah, he goes on. He walks by our home a lot. I should. Mm-hmm. I should just walk with him one of these times. Yeah, just yell at him. Randy, I'm coming down. Hold on. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, thank you so much for letting me do this. Yeah. No, th- dude. Thank you. Seriously, you were you were an absolute delight. I, like I said, it was thank totally you. worth the wait. Thank you. Oh yeah, and <laughs> I promise I won't be that flaky in the future with whatever you need. No, no, I totally understand. Strange mm-hmm. times. Um, so you're at your mom's for two months or you don't really know yet? Yeah. I'll pause it here so that we can. Bye everyone.